It was a bit strange to go from the microphone over to here. I uh, hope you guys can hear me all right without the microphone. Yeah? It was really wonderful to see all of you this morning, and especially some of you who I haven't met. My name is Han Lee, and uh, we've been going through this year the book of Acts in the Bible. Now, a lot of people are really familiar with the story of Jesus. You know, you hear little bits about it, and that's really found in the, in the gospel accounts. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we all hear about those, but not a lot of people are familiar with the book of Acts. And really, Acts is all about what happened to the church right after Jesus left earth, rose into heaven. What happened to the disciples? How did Christianity become so big in the ancient world? If you ever want to find out uh, how that happened, you read the book of Acts. Okay? So this year, we've been going through Acts, and we're now up to chapter 20 of the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, please go there, and I'll just read from that passage. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Verse 17. Follow along with me if you can. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this is Paul the Apostle, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, um, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, my, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I just stop there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather together to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing songs of praise to you. We can, we can pray to you and we can look at your word and hear from you. So we pray, Lord, that this morning you would speak to every one of us here. You would speak directly into our hearts through your words. 
And that you would press your truth into our hearts and help us to receive them and help us to live them out. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage that I just read um, is from the Apostle Paul. And what's happening now is that he's on the way to Jerusalem. As you can see in that passage, he feels constrained by the Holy Spirit. God has told him, go to Jerusalem and deliver help to the church there because of the great persecution, the, the hardships that they're suffering. And so Paul is on his way. But on his way back, he wants to stop at various places and talk to the churches that are already there. And so we see here he stops at Miletus. And one of the reasons why he stops there instead of the city of Ephesus is because he didn't want to stay at Ephesus too long. He felt that if he stayed at Ephesus and saw the entire church, he wouldn't be able to let go and leave them again because he loved them so much. And so he stops at Miletus, another city a few, you know, a few kilometers down. And he calls the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him. The leaders of the church. And we read here of his final words to them. Paul had no doubt. I mean, he, he said to them right from the beginning, I have no doubt this is the last time you will see me. So it must be pretty important what Paul is leaving with him. And we've just read what he said. And there's so many things here that we can kind of dig down in detail and consider a bit more. It's, it's far too much. You know, sometimes when you're preparing for a sermon, it's just so hard to understand even one thing that's preachable or something that, because the text is so hard, it's really hard to pull out that, that truth and think about it. But other times, the text is so rich, there's just so many things you don't know what to focus on. And that's kind of what it's like. And so this morning, I really want to focus on almost just one verse by itself, or two verses really, because what really stood out to me in the middle of this passage, verse 25 to verse 30, is Paul mentions the word blood twice. And it's really kind of, if you think about it, why would he talk about blood? It's such a serious thing. It's so, so visceral and macabre, right? He, he talks about, firstly, the blood of everybody. And he talks about the blood of God. That's really what I want to think about today. This is Paul's last chance to speak to the elders of the Ephesian church. And he mentions a whole raft of things. But he also specifically reminds them of blood. Well, what's that all about? I mean, blood is a very serious thing. If someone bleeds, I mean, it might be minor, but if someone bleeds a lot, they're going to they're gonna pass away. We know that blood is what we need for life. It's really kind of a life or death thing, right? It's a pretty serious thing to talk about it. And I want to consider why Paul mentions blood twice in two different ways. Okay? Now the first thing that he talks to the Ephesian elders about is that first mention of blood in verse 26. He says, I did not, he says, the blood of everybody is on their own heads because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What he means to say is that, look, I was with you for three years and I told you everything I heard from God. I told you everything I knew about this message from God. And now your blood is on your own heads. Your blood is in your own hands. Clearly we get the sense that the responsibility of those elders, the responsibility of everyone who Paul preached to, is to respond to what Paul taught them. Doesn't that make sense, right? Paul says, look, I've told you everything I know. Your blood, your life is in your own hands. Well, clearly the implication is that it depends on how they respond to what he has said. 
I mean, you can take a simple example. You know, if I see someone on the street and I say, you need to get off the street or you're going to get hit by a truck. I've told them. Now their life is really in their own hands, depending on how they respond to what I've said. If they choose to not believe me, it's an accident waiting to happen. You know that. It's, it's logical. So what was Paul saying? What did Paul preach to them? What is this message that is so important that one's life hangs in the balance of how you respond to it? Well, you know, we read in this passage, Paul says, I, I did for three years, night and day, I, I warned you and I taught you without ceasing. So for me to try and tell you in 30 minutes of what he taught, pretty difficult. I'm not sure I can summarize that way. But what I can do is come down to the basics of it. Come down to the, the real essential message that Paul preached. And if we were to summarize it, we'd simply say that Paul preached Jesus. Paul talked about the person, the teachings, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Paul, uh, this guy in the first century. I just want to tell you a little bit about his life, alright? He grew up in a city called Tarsus. A Greek city that was known for its intellectual prowess. It was just the place of intellectuals. Everybody there was smart. They go to university. They got lots of degrees. And he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And he was a Jewish man. And he was very serious about Judaism. Very serious about the religion of the Jews. And he devoted himself to that religion. He learned under Gamaliel, which is one of the most famous Jewish teachers of that time. One of the famous rabbis. He learned under Gamaliel. He was advancing beyond many of his peers. At a young age, he was so far advanced that he was, he was miles ahead of his peers of the same age. He was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers. And this is his own words in Philippians chapter 3, if you want to read about it. And he says he was so zealous for the Jewish faith that when these Christians popped up, these Christians who claimed that a man, Jesus, was God, he says that's blasphemy. And he began persecuting the church. And he was responsible for the death of many Christians. He went from city to city to arrest them and to put them to death. That's what Saul's life was like. Saul of Tarsus. And then one day, he's going on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. And get this. The reason he's going to Damascus is to arrest more Christians. Jesus appears to him. And on the Damascus road, he gets kicked off his horse, and Jesus speaks and appears to Paul, or to Saul, sorry. And after that, Saul was changed. He knew that Jesus was real, and Jesus really was God. And he became a Christian. And his name became known as Paul instead of Saul. And Paul later was commissioned by Jesus, commissioned by God, to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the nations. That's what we see him doing here. So that's the life of Paul. Okay? Think about what it took for him to change from being a person who persecuted the church to becoming a person who preached the very faith that he tried to destroy. It was coming face to face with the risen Jesus Christ. Coming face to face with Jesus. Powerful and risen. That's what changed him. And so as he went from city to city, what did he preach? He didn't tell them, hey guys, here's what I know about God, and here's all these kind of philosophical ideas about God. 
No, he focused on the person of Jesus Christ. He told them all about what Jesus taught, how Jesus lived, and what Jesus said about his death being crucified on a cross. What Jesus said about his resurrection and when he rose again, what he said to the disciples and what he taught them, that was the essence of Paul's message. From every city he went, he told them about Jesus. And he told them about how they must respond to this message about Jesus. Really recommend, if you haven't read the book of Acts, read it through yourself. You'll see the same themes over and over again. Every single city Paul goes to, he says, Jesus Christ is risen. We must all believe in Him. That's His message. Now, let's consider it a little bit more. The Bible tells us, Paul testifies every city that Jesus was sinless. You know this word sin is a very Christian term. It just means that Jesus never rebelled against God. Jesus never rejected God. Jesus knew what God wanted from Him and expected of Him and He fulfilled it perfectly. That's what the Bible speaks about Jesus. In fact, the Bible says Jesus is actually unique in that regard. Only Jesus perfectly lived up to the will of God. Humanity as a whole couldn't. And so if He was perfectly blameless and He was actually God, I mean that idea itself is just, it's kind of crazy to think about. A man and yet God. Infinite and yet finite. The one who created water was thirsty. I mean, that idea is, is just crazy. It's a mystery. But that's what the Bible says. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have Jesus, the God-man, sinless, in His worth and value. He's God. There's nothing, there's no one worth more than God. And yet, He died on a cross. He died the death of a criminal. You know, crucifixion was so horrible, the Roman Empire ruled it illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. It was only for those backward barbarians, only for those who were so, so horrible in their crimes that they deserved to be crucified, suffocating on their own blood, suffocating under the weight of their own bodies. A few days later, that's crucifixion, and yet he was crucified. That, that doesn't make sense. If ever there was a man who deserved not to die, it was Jesus. If ever there was a person who deserved all the blessings of God, who deserved to rule over the entire earth, it was Jesus. But instead of coming as a king, he came as a servant. And not just a servant, he died on a cross. What's going on? The Bible says that that was the intention. God intended his Crucifixion. You see, all from the beginning, the truth is every rebellion against sin, sorry, every rebellion against God, that is sin, must be punished. That's kind of the logical outward. And you know, for us in the 21st century, it might be hard to understand, but just think about it logically. If someone murdered another person in cold blood, they should be punished and not live free. Which person would say, if someone did something wrong, let them go free, I'm sure they'll be alright. That is a perversion of justice. We understand that. We feel that within ourselves. And if God is perfectly good, how can He let fly evil humanity who rejected God, who do all manner of evil things? You know, I just read in the articles, 
this morning, there was a group of men who violated a, a 15-year-old teenager. And that wasn't even the worst of it. When the family complained, they, they took the, the father, tied him to a tree, and beat him to death. This was in India. I mean, this kind of stuff, we react and say, they should meet justice. At the very least, be locked up for the rest of their lives. Which person would say they should go free? Because I feel, I'm so loving, they should really just go free. No, none of us would say that. And yet, so many people expect God to just let all of us off the hook. You know, we kind of think, maybe we're not so bad. And yet Jesus says, if you've ever been angry at your brother, you've committed murder against him in your heart. That moment when you were angry against him, you didn't care if they lived or died, you were so angry with him. Every one of us knows what that's like. We fall short of what God has called us to. In fact, none of us, even if you don't agree to the moral standards of the Bible, even your own moral standards, you cannot keep. You disappoint yourself in various ways. Your conscience tells you you're not as good as you should be. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here this morning to tell you, you're, you know, just to bring you down for the sake of it. Because the Bible tells us that every sin must be repaid. That's why from the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, and they took that fruit, I don't know if you guys have ever realized this, but it says that God gave them garments of skin to cover their shame. Right? And we kind of go, oh, that's cool. Good on God to give them some fashion to cover them up. Where does skin come from? It comes from another living animal. There had to be death in order for them to be covered. How do you make leather? You have to take the skin of a cow. You kill the cow and take the skin and pan it. That's how you produce clothing. And those are the garments of skin already was an indication that there had to be the death of another living animal in order to cover for their sins. And in fact, when we fast forward and go to the, 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 the time of Israel, when the law of Moses was given, have you guys ever wondered why there's so much sacrifice under the Mosaic covenant, under that idea of law? Why is there so much blood all the time? The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us, without the remission of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's what God was trying to teach Israel. If you have sinned, you need to die. And if you want to live, someone else must die in your place. And we know that the blood of bulls and goats and sheep could never take away our sins. Because they kept offering it over and over and over and over and over. It was never enough to take away sins once and for all. But do you kind of get where I'm coming at? But now we, we come to Jesus. You, you understand what I'm saying? If there had to be the blood of another person covering us, and the, the blood of animals wasn't enough, well then surely it must be another man. Or a perfect person. Unfortunately, one, there's no such thing as a perfect person. All of us are not able to live up to the standards that God has us. And so, what's the only alternative left? The only alternative is for God Himself to die for us. And that's why you see in verse 28, something that Paul mentions to the hours. You must care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Just think about this for a second. God's own blood. 
How can God bleed? God's not a physical being like us. How can the infinite creator who spoke and stars came into existence, how can he bleed? Well, the, the only solution for that was if he was to become a man. That's what we see in Jesus. God took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and then willingly went to the cross to shed his blood. Why? Because of us. You see the connection there? Someone had to pay for our sins against God. We couldn't pay it. And if we did, we would be paying it for eternity because the God that we have transgressed against is infinite in worth and value and majesty. So someone else must pay and stand in our place. Jesus shed His blood so that we could be forgiven. Jesus suffered under the righteous judgment of God so that we wouldn't have to. God's blood was shed. God's blood was spilled. God's blood was poured out so that we could be saved. That's the message that Paul gave. And we know that Jesus' death is sufficient. It's so effective to save everyone who trusts in Him because He rose from the dead. I've never met anybody who claimed to rise from the dead. I've never seen anyone pull it off. And if someone did, I would listen very closely to what they had to say. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to 500 later on. And that's why Christianity grew like wildfire. Many Christians in the first century died horrible deaths for the sake of Jesus. Why? Because they met the risen Christ. And in fact, I'm here today because I have met Him. He has saved me and changed me. And He has done so for countless others here this morning. That's the message that Paul preached. Jesus crucified and risen for you. So that you can believe on Him and be saved. That's the message. Now do you see why Paul was so adamant in making the, the elders of the Ephesian church? And by extension, I mean, Paul wasn't saying these things to the elders just so that they would know. He was saying it to them so that the elders would tell the church in Ephesus and also tell other non-Christians in Ephesus. That makes sense, right? Paul was so adamant in reminding them and making sure they were clear on this because it's so important that the message of Jesus goes out to everybody who's able to hear. Why? Because their very lives depended on it. You know, sometimes we think about news. The, the gospel is good news. The, the message of Jesus is, is news. It's a proclamation about something that has already happened. Sometimes we read news in our, in our day and we think, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, if you got an alert on your phone right now and you look at it, you know, I won't be upset. And it reads, do 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 do, news hub. The beehive is on fire. We'd be like, wow, that is really weird. How did that happen? You know, maybe those, those politicians just talk too much. They didn't even look at their fire systems, right? You wouldn't really, I mean, you'd be fascinated, but you wouldn't get out of your seat and be like, I really need to go find out more about this fire to be Unless you're really interested into politics. You know, it would be interesting, but that news doesn't really concern you, so, you know, you probably, you probably wouldn't be affected. But imagine you get an alert 
and your neighbor texts you, your house is on fire, you'd be out of here in a flash. No matter how interesting I was, you'd stand up and be like, I have to go. Why? Because that piece of news directly affects you. Jesus, His death and resurrection directly affects you. Make no mistake about it. His crucifixion was for you. His death was so that you might be saved. To put aside this message and say, that sounds great, but I'm not really interested. You do so at your own. You do so to your own disadvantage. If Jesus doesn't pay for your rebellion against God, the plain matter of fact is you must pay. And that's a horrible thing. That's something that I don't want to say. It's something that's so hard to even think about, but that's the truth. Before God, if we don't cling to what Jesus has done for us, we have no other way to stand before Him. Will you come before God and say, look, Lord, I tried my best. Is that going to be good enough for a perfectly good and righteous God who hates So many people balk against it. They hate this idea of God of justice. My friends, why not focus on the love of God that's been displayed? Why not focus on the blood of God that He willingly shed for you? What love is that that He's willing to die for you? Focus on that. You see, this news about Jesus directly affects all of us. No matter what we think. No matter what we believe, this is fact. This is history. 2,000 years ago, he was crucified. You can't deny the reality of that. The only question really is how will you respond? You may choose not to believe it. You may choose not to accept it. You may choose not to allow that to impact any area of your life. And that is absolutely your call. But the one thing you must be warned is that your blood will be on your own hands. Your life is in your own hands. This morning you've heard about Jesus. Your response, that's up to you. My job and the job of every believer, the job of the Bible, is to simply testify to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and He did this for you. I mean, if I can plead with you, if you're not a Christian, why not come to Him? Why not receive this wonderful love? I've never met any single human being human being who would willingly die for me. I've never met anybody who loves me that much. Especially not after knowing the evils that's in my heart. And yet God chose to die for me. And He did so for you also. If you would receive Him. And you know, 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Paul preached. And those people in the Ephesian city, Ephesus, they received it, they believed it. And Paul was adamant of that message. Making sure that they didn't forget. Making sure that they could teach it to the church. And they could teach it to others around them. Because this message is so important. That's why Paul talks about blood. It's about one's life. It's not a hobby on the side. It's not about, I just want to add a little religion to my life so I can be more enlightened. This is the most important thing in life. And if you have Christ, you have everything. And if you do not have Christ, the Bible says you will lose even what little you have right now. 
That's the plain message that Paul preached. And I just want to stop here and think a little bit more about this idea of God's blood shed for the church. And I know this is a little bit of an aside. That's exactly why I said, you know, there's so many wonderful things to talk about. It doesn't really fit, but I really want to talk about it. If you are a believer, just consider this. Paul told the elders to care for the church of God. Why? Because God's own blood obtained the church. That is how loved we are as believers. And a lot of people think, look, churches everywhere, they're, just, they're floundering, it's difficult, surely God has abandoned them. Isn't it clear from this passage that that is not the case? You read here that it's the Holy Spirit who has made them overseers to care for the church of God. See that? Verse 28. The Holy Spirit has made them overseers. What does that mean? But God is active in the church. God is caring for the church. God is loving His church even now. That is such a wonderful encouragement. I just wanted to note that for us here today. It's such a wonderful thing that, that here the Bible reminds us God is active in the church. But I hope I made it clear to you why Paul was so serious about this message. I mean, here in verse 31, he says, I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. So then the question for us as believers, is that how we think about sharing the message of Jesus Christ? Or do we think the sharing of the gospel really is just an optional extra of the Christian life? I can be a good Christian, and yet not love my neighbors enough to tell them about the greatest thing that's ever happened. I hope you see the inconsistency. For Paul, knowing the death of Jesus for him, had such enormous implications. If this was true, then he must tell everyone he can. He must give his whole life to the sharing of the message of Jesus. Now, if you are a believer... Surely you must feel the responsibility upon your own heart. I mean, the image that the Old Testament gives is God speaking to the prophet and says, Tell my people this. And then God says to the prophet, If you will not, you will be like a watchman for the city. Imagine if you're in a fortified city, okay? Imagine you drew the short straw. You're on night shift. Uh oh. You don't get to sleep. You have to watch out for enemies coming to the city. You're watching and you see lights in the distance. You hear drums. The enemy is approaching. Everyone's asleep. Your job is to blow the horn as hard as you can and to do everything in your power to wake the inhabitants of the city. If you don't, everyone will be slaughtered. If you don't, the city will be taken in an instant. And God says, if you don't tell them what I said, you will be like a watchman who stays silent even though the, the armies of the enemy approaches. And God says, the blood of the city will be on your head. I will require your hand. If someone knows a message that will save my life and they don't tell me, surely they own a part of the responsibility. If I see a person on the street and I don't say anything, surely I am morally responsible in some way for what ill befalls them. Surely. That's the responsibility we as believers should feel. Now, I'm not here to guilt trip you because it's not about guilt tripping. 
Christ has taken away all of our guilt and our shame and our failings. Only the Lord knows how many times I've failed to talk about Jesus when I've had the chance. And yet the call is, will you see the love of God for you and will you let that drive you to loving your neighbor, loving your colleague, loving your friend, loving your family and telling them about Jesus Christ, no matter the cost to you. It might cost you a promotion. Believer, it might cost you friends. That's the truth. But the most loving thing we can do is tell people about Jesus. To further a religious agenda, come on. But merely to sell them the greatest news that we've ever received, God would shed His own blood for us. Isn't that such a wonderful thing? Paul felt that responsibility. He, he went everywhere and preached wherever he could, even though eventually it led to his death. It did. It led to his death. But he still did it because it was the most important thing in his life. Church, I, I pray that, that would be the case for us. I pray that the Lord would strengthen us and help us to see that that is the most loving thing we can do for anyone in our, in our circles, in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you again, Lord, for this passage. It's such a serious passage. We, we read and we get the tone that Paul spoke to the Ephesians out of it. It's this message of, this is the most important thing I can say to you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to think seriously about this message of Christ. You would help us to consider with absolute seriousness our response to the death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive you and to enter into the incredible love and joy and peace that comes from being in Christ. Help us, Lord, to believe in you. Help us, Lord, to love you. Bless us now for the rest of this service. In Jesus' name.